The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 60 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 56, Death Be Not Proud. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, inks by George Klein, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in September of 1968. Now, before we get too far into our episode here, I do want to apologize. I am once again suffering from the head cold that will not end, so I will endeavor to muffle my sniffles and coughs as much as possible and remove them as much as possible during post-production editing. However, if a few get through, please forgive me. The level of misery I have been feeling the last few days is hopefully punishment enough for it. So taking a look at our cover this week, it's a fairly plain cover, but I actually think it's elegant in its simplicity. We've got Captain America standing over the body of Bucky in a spotlight, a plain green background, which to be honest, I really like the shade of green. It actually very closely matches the wall I'm staring at behind my computer monitor right now. And then you have the heads of three of the four remaining Avengers. The only one missing here is Wasp, and Wasp really doesn't play a huge part in this story, and I'll touch on that in a little bit here. The only thing I don't like is that most of the Avengers don't have either pupils or irises. Now, this works for certain characters like Black Panther and Goliath, and even Bucky to an extent, but Hawkeye and Cap both are typically drawn such that you can actually see their eyes. Especially Cap in this particular cover, the digital version that I'm looking at, the eye holes are flesh-colored. Everyone else's eye holes are, are white, which works, especially when you look at, like, Bucky with a domino mask. It's kind of a typical style that that's done in. But Cap with white flesh-colored eyes, it looks like he's wearing his normal cowl and mask and then he just has no eyes or like it's pulled down below his eyes it's very very weird and just a little bit disconcerting to me but again overall it's a very well done understated cover and i like it quite a bit now our opening splash page is absolutely spectacular we see the avengers in front of a castle on a bridge that is presumably leading to this castle and it has the title of the issue death be not proud built into the bridge which is very cool there is great line work detail that gives the stone work a lot of texture which I really appreciate. It looks like the stones are actually hand cut and really gives it a feel of authenticity. Again, because this is also Inker George Klein, we get a lot of texture in the sky and in the shadows on the stone of the castle, which is really spectacular. So as the Avengers come to the gates of this castle, they find that the castle is in fact sealed and so Goliath grows to his full height, takes Black Panther, and throws him over the parapets in what feels like a proto-version of the Wolverine Colossus fastball special move, where Colossus hurls Wolverine at enemies. Now, in this case, this is really more of a means of an end to get into the castle, as opposed to a combat maneuver. However, it does have the same kind of 
feeling to it. Black Panther refers to it more as a human catapult than obviously a fastball special is a reference to baseball. But if you look at Goliath in the panel where he's actually launching Black Panther, he looks like he's throwing a baseball. He looks like a baseball pitcher. So I definitely get that baseball, fastball special kind of feel to it. I also really love on these first few pages that we don't get a solid explanation of what's going on. The Avengers are at this creepy abandoned castle. They're trying to get in. We don't know why. As Black Panther lowers the drawbridge, we at least get a little bit of inner monologue that serves as an explanation to an extent that Captain America has requested the Avengers meet him here, but he doesn't explain why, and so the Avengers are getting into this castle and trying to find Captain America. And as they do, they're coming across interesting things, again, like this closed gate that they've got to get in as Goliath is shrinking down to his normal size so he can fit under a portal. He steps on a booby trap on a landmine that Black Panther is just able to save him from. And all these little things kind of building up and this great suspense and this ominous mystery that's happening here. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why the Avengers are here. And then finally they kind of make it into this central area of the castle and Black Panther notices that something is hiding behind the curtains. And so he lunges for it only to be thrown back. And as Goliath moves in to confront this new threat, the curtain is thrown back and we discover that it's Captain America. Two things on this page that really work for me. One is Black Panther getting thrown backwards while Goliath is rushing forward. With all of the kind of mystery and suspense that they've spent the first couple of pages building up, it's a nice little bit of comic relief right before the reveal of Captain America. So it cuts the tension a little bit, it lightens the mood, and it makes everybody kind of happier to see Captain America instead of questioning or threatening or kind of ominous feel from Cap, you interrupt that tension build just enough so that it's not misplaced onto Cap having some kind of nefarious motive. The other thing I really love is just the classic, I don't want to call it a gag, but the classic idea of someone hiding behind a curtain. And when I say classic, I mean like actually classic. This is a bit that is used in classical literature. And personally what comes to mind, because I'm also a huge Shakespeare nerd, is Polonius hiding behind the curtain in Hamlet. Unfortunately, that doesn't really work out for Polonius very well. And when Hamlet finds him there, Hamlet stabs him. But it is an old school classic move. It has both comedic and dramatic elements to it that really work well in a number of situations. As the Avengers reunite with their former teammate, we come to kind of the crux of the issue, the reason we're all here. And that is because Captain America has some kind of gut feeling, some kind of intuition that maybe Bucky isn't actually dead. Unfortunately, Cap is unable to provide any kind of reasoning or justification for why he has that feeling. He keeps saying he doesn't know, he doesn't know, but the Avengers are going to go ahead and investigate. And the reason that Captain America invited the Avengers to this particular location is this is in fact at least a Castle Doom. Specifically, this is the Castle Doom from Fantastic Four number five in which Doctor Doom is able to travel back in time. And so the Avengers have come here to make use of Doom's time machine and travel back to 1945 to the very mission that Bucky died on to see if there is any possibility that Bucky may have survived like Cap did. Now, in this particular case, 
this. The Avengers are going to go back in time and their intention is only to observe. So they're going to go back in a kind of ghostly form that's invisible to everyone and, as we'll see, is semi-transparent even to, to us, the readers. So the idea is that they don't interfere with the timeline. In order to make this work, one of the Avengers has to stay behind and operate the controls. So in this case, it's Wasp. And Goliath is very keen to point out that if she doesn't make certain dial manipulations at regular intervals, she could put the rest of the Avengers in mortal danger. So the Avengers line up on this square time travel portal pad and they are whisked away into the past. Now before we move forward, I, I do want to say, you know, Marvel has a long standing tradition of time travel and even interfering or changing the past though at least at this point in time the concept of a multiverse in marvel really doesn't exist and isn't going to become a thing until the 1970s and the x-men days of future past storyline that's really the first time that marvel embraces the idea of multiple parallel universes existing simultaneously now as we'll see in the next Avengers annual uh, next week, there are multiple parallel Earths in existence now, and we kind of touch on some of those parallel Earths, but th the idea of the kind of interconnected multi-dimensional Marvel Universe doesn't really come into existence until Days of Future Past. It's also worth noting that this is the same time travel tech that Kang the Conqueror refers to having rediscovered back in Avengers number 9. If you remember way back then, Kang talks about the time traveling equipment of his ancestor Doctor Doom, and this is the tech that he's referring to, and the tech that allows him to travel back in time, become Pharaoh Ramatut, and then travel forward in time, eventually becoming Kang the Conqueror. At any rate, getting back to our story, like I said, the Avengers find themselves in England 20 years earlier, and they are, as I described them before, basically translucent kind of non-entities, almost like ghosts in this timeline. They're really here to watch and not interact. And I do really enjoy the way that they make the Avengers look transparent and you can kind of see through them, and the fact that they really made the effort to do this. It's not perfect, but it is certainly worth applauding the effort. Now, of course, because Captain America was there in the first place, he knows exactly when to bring the Avengers into the past, and they arrive just as Baron Zemo is breaking into the hangar that contains the drone plane that we saw Bucky and Cap on in the flashback when we saw Cap frozen and Bucky die way back when in Avengers number four. This is basically starting off a couple of minutes before those events when Zemo is breaking into the hangar and he's got this kind of weird little lockbox with him and as he enters the hangar he puts the box down and he fires a beam into it and out grows this giant humanoid android. Now, of course, as this android grows to its full height, Baron Zemo makes the declaration, as one expects from a supervillain, that his android is powerful enough to defy any that would oppose them. And with perfect comic book timing, just as he finishes his declaration, Captain America and Bucky come smashing through the window. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with the Golden Age Marvel comics, and I will be the first to admit that I actually kind of fell for this, I originally thought that this was kind of a retcon to include Captain America's 
circular shield because of course the famous golden age cover from captain america number one which has captain america punching hitler has him holding the chevron shaped metal shield that is however the only issue that that particular shield shows up in and from issue number two onward captain america has the circular shield so my initial gut reaction said hey i think this is a retcon but no in fact i'm very wrong on that and now you know and knowing is half the battle although in this particular case knowing is not half the battle because although cap and bucky make a valiant effort at taking on this android they really don't have a whole lot of success now what's interesting here is obviously cap is watching himself fight and although for him in reality it's 20 years later it really is only a couple of years in cap's mind since these events and obviously because they are some of the last events he experienced before freezing and because of the nature of it being involved with Bucky's death. Although it feels like a different time and place, he says, these are obviously images that are very much ingrained in his mind. And so not only is Cap watching what's happening, it's kind of clear Cap is reliving it. And eventually, although Cap makes some decent work of Baron Zemo, Bucky gets a little overzealous, we'll call it, and the android is able to throw Bucky across the room and knocks him unconscious. And while Cap rushes to Bucky's side, he is then stunned by Baron Zemo, who faked unconsciousness and snuck up and shot Captain America in the back, basically. Now, this is probably one of the weirdest things of this issue, is after Zemo has both heroes unconscious, he then proceeds to remove them from their costumes and put them in what is effectively coveralls or some kind of flight suit. Now, these are the same brown uniforms that we saw Cap and Bucky in in Avengers number four, so it explains how they got their in the first place from their costumed entrance. But to be honest, it's a little bit on the creepy side. If you think about it, you have two heroes and the villain. And what's the first thing the villain does? He strips the characters out of their costumes and then puts them in other clothes. And again, I'd like to point out, Bucky's underage. So you have Baron Zemo stripping a teenage boy down and then putting him in other clothing. It's just got a very weird, creepy vibe to it. And I get kind of where Zemo's going with this because you know Captain America especially but Bucky as well really are very visible symbols and to strip them of this this symbolism in a very literal term to remove them from their red white and blue costumes sends a, a powerful message but I just can't get over the creepy part of it once he's done changing their clothing, Baron Zemo goes for what I think is a very classy move, very Saturday morning serial damsel tied to the railroad tracks, where he ties Bucky and Cap to this drone aircraft, and the idea is that he's going to land this plane in Germany with... Bucky and Captain America tied to it, presumably dead from the flight, and it, it'll be kind of like an extra gift to Hitler. You know, saying that out loud is such a weird thing to say. Again, I, I get what's going on there, and, and I don't have actually any problems with it, but man, it sounds weird out loud. Now, it's interesting here because all of the Avengers, except for Captain America, kind of start getting a little spun up, a little anxious, like, we have to do something. And Captain America basically says, I know I want to do something, but we can't change fate, it's too dangerous to try. 
it's interesting to see that level of self-control that Cap is showing. And, you know, I give him a lot of credit. I think, again, it goes back to that, that soldier training where he's disciplined and focused. And although there are things he wants to do, he is able to keep himself in check and prevent himself from doing those things intentionally. And I say intentionally because back in 1968, back in our real time, for some reason that I cannot understand, Wasp falls asleep at the controls and in the process hits a button, basically completing the transportation from the original timeline to the past. Now, this is a little bit weird because earlier in the issue, they really went out of their way to explain that this kind of wasn't a thing. Like, they're going to go back in the past and observe, but that they really couldn't interact because, A, the consequences were too high, and B, it's just not really something they could do. But now, 10 pages later, they're doing it. So that part, to me, is a little bit off. Now, of course, because they were observing Baron Zemo and what he was doing, they're like right behind him. So when they materialize, turns out Baron Zemo notices they're there and he immediately turns to engage them. Now, in this case, Zemo is pretty woefully outnumbered. Four to one. And Captain America's had a lot more experience fighting Zemo again at this point. So although Cap takes down Zemo pretty quick, Zemo is able to get off another shot at his little lockbox. And now suddenly there are two giant androids that the Avengers have to deal with. Now, thankfully, one of them goes one-on-one -on -one with Goliath. Because when you've got a giant android and you've got a giant hero, that's just kind of how this works out. Unfortunately, and I think this is kind of a point that I don't really care for, at this point in the fight, they stumble out of the hangar they were in and begin to involve regular soldiers in that timeline. And not only that, both the android and Goliath end up picking these soldiers up and kind of tossing them around back and forth. And I don't know, something about it just seems kind of pointless, kind of wasteful to me. Like they could have kept the whole story contained within the hangar without adding these extra couple of troopers. And then there's going to be a few more that join them here in a couple pages. And I would have been perfectly content with that. I think it was unnecessary to kind of expand the scope of this fight, especially because these GIs don't really do anything to help further the story. Now, back in the hangar, the rest of the Avengers are not having anywhere near as much luck initially with this first android because you know they're i would say nearly indestructible so they're pretty tough and although black panther hawkeye and cap are all landing pretty solid blows to it it takes them a minute to disable this robot now again it involves some teamwork and in the end they don't really like truly destroy defeat the robot they kind of break its power source and effectively break its neck and kind of paralyze it keep it from doing anything but it's it's still there and still just kind of doing its thing now as goliath continues to wrestle with this creature eventually he's able to similarly disable it the way his compatriots did but now he has to contend with this small mass of gis now fortunately for goliath right about this moment is when presumably wasp wakes up realizes what's happened and begins to dissolve the avengers to make them immaterial again and just as this happens captain america our captain america from our timeline takes this one last moment 
throws his shield and severs the ropes that are tying he and Bucky onto this drone plane. Now, unfortunately, this sets off a series of events that leads to the panels that we saw in Avengers number four, where Baron Zemo gets the plane airborne, Cap and Bucky take off after it on the motorcycle, Bucky gets a good grip on the plane, Cap does not, Cap lets go, just as Bucky realizes the plane has been booby-trapped, and the plane explodes, presumably taking Bucky with it. As part of this, there are some panels in here that are effectively taken right out of Avengers number four. Now, I don't think they're actually straight-up copies, but they are very closely based on those panels, and I think they do a really good job of doing so. I can mentally pick out exactly which panels these are in that issue, and from the costumes to the coloring to the body position, it is a very faithful recreation. Now, of course, we know that Baron Zemo has not triumphed, not really, because Captain America lives, but once again we get to relive Zemo's triumph, and as the Avengers return to their timeline after witnessing these events again, Zemo destroys the body of the android and evacuates, and unfortunately Cap is now almost entirely convinced that Bucky is in fact gone. And that's our issue for this week. Now, overall, it's a fun issue that comes off the rails a little bit. And what I mean by that is, I'm not generally opposed to time travel stories, but this story basically goes and retcons Captain America's final failed mission, where he fails the mission, gets frozen, gets woken up by the Avengers, joins the Avengers, and then travels back in time and causes his mission to occur, just as it did before, causing him to be frozen and then wake up and then join the Avengers. Do you see the circle I'm, I'm building here? At some point, the mission had to have gone off the way it did without future Cap's intervention. Otherwise, none of these events would have happened. Captain America would have stayed attached to the plane and he would have died. So where does it start and where does it change? And if it does change, then what impact does that change have? You just end up in this this cyclical loop, this, this paradox, and it's one of those things that time travel just doesn't quite work out. Again, I'm not saying all time travel stories are bad, but I think the moment you end up interfering with, interacting with the past, then you end up having a lot of problems and you start not even punching holes in your stories. You start building holes into the story, which is somewhat frustrating. The other peculiar thing about this issue is that it gives closure to Bucky, basically saying at this point, Bucky is absolutely dead. Only 40 years later, that's re-retconned such that Bucky alive and that he has been the Winter Soldier. So reading it at the time, I'm sure, gave a certain level of finality and a certain level of closure to that possibility and to that storyline. 40 years later, Ed Brubaker said to hell with it and brought back Bucky. And as a modern comics reader, it's just interesting to me to see how things have changed such that what was a closed book 40 years ago can be reopened, reevaluated, and changed in order to serve the needs of a modern story. I mean, it's, it's retconning of a retcon at its finest. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, the Ed Brubaker, Captain America, Winter Soldier stuff is absolutely brilliant. But, you know, part of me would be okay if... Bucky had stayed dead that we just closed the loop there. You know, there's always the joke in superhero comics that, you know, nobody stays dead except Uncle Ben. And certainly to an extent that's true, to an extent that's not true. You know, characters stay dead for many, many years at a time if they're brought back at all. But, you know, sometimes they're brought back to serve the needs and wants of future stories.
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers Annual Number 2 and Time, The Rushing River. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.